Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out all the stuff we're doing and reviewing at blisterreview.com. Today, K2 is unveiling a huge new lineup of skis called the Mindbender Series. So I spoke the other day with K2 ski designer and Blister podcast veteran Jed Yeiser about these 13 new skis, the new tech that went into them, which ski is Jed's personal favorite, and more. Before we get to my conversation with Jed, I want to tell you about two new things that we are extremely excited about. The first is our new Blister showroom. You've heard us talk about the showroom on this very podcast, and we now have the initial version of the showroom up and open to the public at our on-mountain headquarters at Elevation Hotel, which is a ski-in, ski-out hotel at Crested Butte Mountain Resort. So book your trip to Crested Butte and come check out a whole bunch of new skis, including these new Mindbender skis that we're about to discuss. And going forward, we will now be displaying in the showroom all the new ski gear that arrives at Blister HQ. So come check it out, maybe come ski some laps with us if you like, or meet us for Opre at Elevation, and we will then go check out a bunch of new skis and some old favorite ones too. Now the second thing I want to announce is a brand new Blister Speaker Series that we are launching at Western Colorado University in Gunnison. Our inaugural event is Thursday, January 24th at 6 p.m. at the University Center Theater at Western, and everybody is invited. Our very first speaker is Brendan Leonard, the creator of Semirad.com. So if you'd like to hear from one of the funniest and most creative people in the entire outdoor industry, come join us at 6 p.m. on January 24th at Western in Gunnison, Colorado, and you can hear me interview Brendan You'll have the chance to meet Brendan and ask him any old thing your heart desires, and I'm basically willing to promise you that this is just going to be a really fun evening, and we're really excited about this. So we've got a new Blister showroom and a new Blister speaker series at Western, and now we also have a conversation with Jed Yeiser about a bunch of new K2 skis. So let's just go ahead now and get to that conversation with Jed Yeiser. Jed Yeiser, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about this whole new lineup that you guys have been working on under this rubric of the Mindbender series. Talk to me a little bit about how this series came to be. How long has this been in the works? I mean, it's really kind of been in the works for, for three to four years. Um, more in sort of discussions we've had in what we wanted to do with a free ride line. And then I think the first time I set pen to paper, so to speak, to design a ski that, that was going to go into this line was probably 24 months ago. Um, and then spent, I guess that would have been the winter of 2017, just basically noodling on that design and thinking about it. And the first time we were testing the ski was uh, the summer of 2017 down in New Zealand, or not the ski, the skis, I should say. But um, yeah, I mean, it really came to be because, you know, the Pinnacles were skis that did a lot of things really well and that a lot of people really enjoyed. But Adam Rosito, the product line manager, and I in particular felt like they were missing the mark a little bit, especially 
on the top end on hard snow and also through variable snow and that we needed to either really size up to, you know, both of us were skiing 191s in the 105 and 95, which for guys our size is, is not totally reasonable. And just, we wanted more stability. We wanted more control. We wanted predictability and we wanted skis that, that really let us kind of push our limits without finding the skis limits. That's kind of the reason Detra, you know, it worked really well. Adam came on board, I think three years ago. And that's when we started talking about what we wanted to do with this line. And it, it worked well that I think the, the direction I wanted to push the free ride line very much aligned with what Adam wanted to do. And uh, so when the pinnacles were up for a redesign, we basically talked to the, the powers that be and said, this is what we need to do. These are what the skis are going to do. This is how it's different than pinnacle. And yeah, we were basically given a, a carte blanche to, to do what we wanted to do. And, and there were, you know, a number of bumps along the way to, to get the skis to where they are now. But I think from day one, you know, those first prototypes we skied in New Zealand felt very different than, than where we'd been previously and, and felt much more like the skis that, that Adam and I wanted to ski on. And there's obviously a whole women's component of that as well. Um, which I think you're going to talk to to the four ladies that really drove the women's end of things later on. So I'll, I'll save that for them. Um, but, you know, it, as far as the, the model line direction, I think we all kind of decided this broad architecture and, and this performance level is where we want to go. And, and Adam and I, with some other testers, really drove that on the men's side. And then we had the, the women's test team drive that on the women's side. So let's then talk about the men's lineup. How many models? What are the models? Oh boy, let's see. We've got the Mindbender 116C, the Mindbender 108Ti, the Mindbender 99Ti, the Mindbender 90Ti, the Mindbender 90C, and the Mindbender 85. So that's six models total. Um, very, very broad range of waist widths and um you know each ski is really designed individually to match the the sort of skier that we we see using that ski and the, the type of terrain that we see the ski being used in so it's you know we didn't find a design for let's say the, the 99ti which is kind of right in the middle and scale that up and down we we started from scratch um on each model to to get the performance really needed hmm. for that model that is a bit different, it, it does seem that, you know, it is becoming not uncommon for companies to kind of do exactly, well, the opposite of what you just described, which is start with a model and then scale that up or scale that down according to size. And then there we go. We have a, we have a lineup. That's not what you did here. No, and I mean we we definitely thought about doing that, and there are there are technologies and sort of philosophies that that absolutely carry through the line, um, and lessons we learned, you know, and one ski will trickle into another. But when we were looking at the line and sort of starting to lay out, um, really the models and what what we wanted the models to to excel at, and sort of the you know filling out we, we start each project with a project brief and the most important part of that is like why does this ski exist why are we making the ski who are we making the ski for and we started going through that and realized that um 
you know, a lot of the same customers would would like and are looking for a lot of these skis, but the way that they're going to use them is very different. And, you know, that someone who's looking for that 108 Ti doesn't want the same performance out of that ski that you're going to get out of like a 116C. And especially, you know, you know, same thing with the 108 to 99 or 99 to 90, that while they may need to share some performance attributes, they're fundamentally different skis for different uses. And, and we really wanted to kind of respect that in the development process and, and keep footprints, rocker profiles, flex profiles um, unique to, to each model because then we could really get the performance we were looking for out of each model as opposed to compromising a little bit um, here or there which you end up doing um, when you're basically scaling up, you know, one design, which is not to say there aren't some, I mean, there are some phenomenal skis up there where the engineers have basically taken a ski that's working well and, and scaled it up or down. I don't think that's, that's inherently a bad approach. It's just not what we wanted to do with these. Okay. Let's, uh, let's start skinny and uh, work our way up. So tell me about this 85. Yeah, so the 85 is, is sort of the, the lowest price point of the whole Mindbender series. It, it replaces the Pinnacle 85. And we were really looking for, you know, a ski that, that had a big sweet spot and was intuitive right from the start. You know, I, I think we're kind of looking at this ski as like a, a gateway drug, if you will, for like a, a beginner to intermediate skier who wants a ski that's going to be really consistent through all snow types at that waist width. It obviously needs to do well on piste. Um, and especially with the, the sort of customers we see using this ski, it will probably be used more on piste than off piste. But the, the predictability and consistency off piste was definitely something we we were shooting for in this ski. And I, I don't have a price list in front of me, but I want to say that's $3.99 at the 85. Um, so yeah, definitely that and the 90C are skis that you should get on. Um, you know, I know we've had a lot of discussions about skis for beginners. Um, and I think the 85 in particular and the 90C to a lesser extent were designed with sort of creating skis that allowed uh, people that were just getting into it to really build their skills on. Aside from the width difference, talk about the 85 versus the 90C. So very different um, footprints, different rocker profiles, and um, different constructions, right? So the, the 90C has a slightly longer side cut radius and um, a little bit more taper. I mean, not much more. Most both of these skis have have pretty large um, effective edges or long effective edges. But the 90C also incorporates uh, a material that that we've developed um, and are calling carbon spectral braid, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But um, basically, that that spectral braid has varying fiber angles throughout the length of the ski, which allow me to tune the longitudinal stiffness profile and the torsional stiffness profile independently, or at least decouple those um, two mechanical attributes of the ski in a way that we haven't been able to do before. And that concept, if you will, in decoupling the longitudinal and torsional stiffness profiles is, you'll see that in all of the skis 
the sort of we're calling that whole philosophy torsion control design. And we have two technical solutions for that, where the spectral braid is what you're going to see on our glass and carbon skis. And you're going to see Tietanol Y-beam on um, the skis with Tietanol. This must have been something that we talked about on a previous podcast. So forgive me if this is running over the same ground, but it is maybe some news, the idea that skis can be too soft or too stiff longitudinally, yep. that that is absolutely also true of torsional stiffness as well. Oh, 100%. 100%. But it's usually the case that the, I don't know, like the better skiers like to throw the complaint that a ski isn't torsionally stiff enough. And anyway, I'm, I'm not calling yeah. BS, but I'm kind of calling BS. Or on the saying torsional, uh, a ski that's more torsionally stiff is always better. Yeah. Oh, I'll absolutely call BS on that. Um, I mean, I think the only scenario where, where that could be true is on a perfectly, not flat because you're skiing on an inclined plane, but let's say a perfectly smooth, very hard surface, right? So if you had basically an, a skating rink tilted at 30 degrees, then you could make the argument that more torsional stiffness is always better. Um, but the thing that having a little bit of torsional compliance does, especially in rougher snows, is it lets you maintain edge contact. And on skis that, that are really stiff torsionally, as opposed to basically being able to twist and maintain edge contact, they're going to get pushed off the snow. And there's no edge grip when the edge isn't on the snow. Um, and so it's, it's definitely finding that sweet spot of torsional stiffness is, is something we, we look at. And it was a huge um, sort of discovery for us when we started looking at really decoupling the, the torsional and longitudinal stiffness profiles because it, it allowed us for the first time to make skis that were significantly more torsionally stiff in the forebody than in the aft body of the ski, which is not to say that the skis are soft in the aft body torsionally, but that, um, you know, traditionally with a laminate construction, anytime you make a change to, let's say, the core profile to, to make a change in the longitudinal stiffness profile, that comes with a predefined change in your torsional stiffness profile. Like you can't change one without the other. And by, by tweaking our material shaping and our fiber angles, we were able to basically, certainly not entirely decouple, but decouple them in a way that, that we'd never been able to do before. And like, I, I know I spent a lot of time talking to you. I, I still think that the longitudinal stiffness profile of the ski is the most important mechanical characteristic of a ski you can have you will never have a ski that skis well without a dialed stiffness profile um and and that stiffness profile translates to your pressure distribution on the snow and and it translates to edge grip and so you know from an engineering standpoint i was really focused on getting those stiffness profiles right for each ski but with a laminate construction getting a little ahead of myself here, but with a laminate construction, those stiffness profiles often led to torsional stiffness profiles that, that weren't ideal for the type of, of skiing, the type of snow that we were, we were looking to, to excel in. Well, and so it sounds like if this decoupling is happening for this Mindbender series, it sure kind of sounds to me like this is something that we can imagine is going to be, you know, 
going to be a feature of K2 skis going forward? You know, I'll I'll keep my cards as close to the chest as I can. I I think that's a reasonable assumption. Um, There are certainly snow types and types of skiing where, where that decoupling becomes less beneficial or necessary. But, um, but yeah. Okay. You froze up on me. I froze up on, it's, you know, I, I'll put it this way. I'm working on stuff for, for F20. Some of it definitely uses that TCD and some of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you off the hook here. Um, <laughs> I, though I do enjoy making you uh, uncomfortable, but um, so we've talked about the 85 and the 90 C well, talk mm-hmm. to me now about the 90 Ti and how similar or different it is from the 90 C. So it's it, again completely different footprint uh, compared to the 90 C and a much different footprint than the 99 Ti. This is a ski we really see people using again, mostly on piste. But um, the focus here was to have a ski that skied well on piste, but was really consistent um, through chopped up snow. Right. And, and certainly compared to the 90C, the 90TI with, with a metal laminate is going to be a much more powerful and damp um, and sort of aggressive feeling ski than the 90C, whereas the 90C is a little bit lighter. It's more playful and agile. The 90TI is, is much more of a, a charging ski. Um, but yeah, I mean, from, from a stiffness profile standpoint, the, the tips of the 90TI are a little bit stiffer than they are on the 90C. Um, again, to get that, that pressure out to the extremities of the ski where you're really um, entering and exiting the turn. I haven't seen the 90s yet. And so no. I'm super curious. Let's say if I'm envisioning the Iconics, Iconic mm-hmm. 84 TIs. I'm assuming yep. that ski is going to be far more on piste oriented yes. than, than a 90 TI. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and actually, our, our first prototypes of that 90 TI were essentially iconic 90 TIs, um, which which we moved away from pretty quickly. Not not because they were bad off piste, but because we could make a ski that was much better off east. Uh-huh. So, uh, we did. Let's go 99 TI. Yeah, and this this ski is if there's one ski in this whole collection that that I'm excited about and I'm excited about all of them. The 99 is is definitely that ski. Um for whatever reason it was it it took the longest to get right. And I think um you know, the first things we started really liking about this ski is, is how well it skied off piste and then made some changes to, to have it really excel on piste as well. But um, it's just, it does everything so well. And it's, um, you know, like we were up at a, a dealer launch in Whistler, got a little bit of snow. And I think a lot of the dealers were, were excited to get on the wider skis as they should have been. And I spent the day skiing on the 99Ti and with 10 inches of fresh over a pretty soft base, really never wished that I had a, a wider ski. Like the float was great. 
and the consistency and stability that it has um, through chopped up snow is just, it's unreal. Um, and it feels, at least to me, the, the sort of personality is really doesn't depend on the snow type. Do you want to know what we like about it so far? Uh, weight's going to be part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, weight's definitely going to be part of it. There's not a, not a lot of taper on it, which I'm sure you guys appreciate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, it's black. It's a lot of black. It is a lot like of black. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, three for three. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it was interesting. We, you know, we were weighing the, the 116C, we were weighing the 108TI, and then yep. we put the 99TI on the scale and I remember Luke Coppa was like, wait a minute, this is the heaviest of those three skis. And, uh, you yeah. know, and especially kind of noteworthy that it's heavier than the 108 Ti. And yeah. uh, I, I started smiling. So, man, the 99 or 100 underfoot, that is certainly a pretty stacked category of 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 good all mountain skis right now so uh absolutely it was the i mean going into this whole project it was the ski that i was most concerned about um you know where i think in in every other sort of category or every other model we, we obviously do a lot of benchmarking of, of industry benchmarks and there are a lot of great skis that all of these ways with but i was pretty confident on you know, the, the nineties, the 90 or the one Oh eights and the one sixteens that we could do something really different and compelling and kind of put ourselves at the, the head of the pack that 99, I was really, really, um, and I'm, I, I think we did it. We absolutely did it, but there are some unbelievably good skis out there in the, let's just call it 95 to one Oh three, one Oh four waste width. Um, that I think, going beyond what's already there is, is, is difficult. And, um, you know, I'm biased. I, I think we've absolutely done it, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for you to get on that ski special. That ski is really special. Well, I should be getting on it in like literally the next day or two. And so, uh, yeah, um, haven't, haven't skied it yet, but, uh, you're talking a big game. So, uh, I'm, I am intrigued. Yeah, I, you're going to like it, Jonathan. Call, call me once you get off. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to hear what you think. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about then the 108 Ti. Yeah. And so I think like if you look at the differences between the, the 90C and 90Ti and the 90Ti to 99Ti, there are certainly differences in the footprint and flex profile and the rest of it. The difference between the 99Ti and 108 is, is really pretty pronounced. Um, and I think a lot of that really comes down to what we were trying to do with each ski, where that 99TI was a, a ski that, that needed to have broad appeal. It needed to do sort of everything really well. And that 108TI, our focus was really on creating a, a big mountain ski that's confident and capable. And so... Um, the side cut radius is is much much larger than it is <clears throat> on the 99ti. There's a little bit more or a lot more taper in that ski. Um, definitely tried to get away from taper where the ski's getting a lot narrower, but there are regions in both the tip and the tail where the footprint sort of stays straight for a while. Um, 
to try and have a ski that that really drifts um, and slarves well off piste. And um, I mean, you'll notice as well that ski is pretty hefty as well, which is a, a pretty big departure from where we were at with the the Pinnacle 105. Um, but we wanted a ski for sort of core locals to go and charge on, um, and and that's why you see a lot of those those differences in design. It's also got a lot more rocker than the 99 Ti does um, because it will be used in softer, deeper snow. Yep. Mount points on the 108 and 99. Where are mm-hmm. we living roughly? The the 108 is a little bit further forward than the 99. I think it's like five millimeters further forward than the 99. I'll have to double check that. Um, but also the sizing jumps up when you go to the 108, right? So it's the the 99 is is 91, 84, 77, 70, and the 108 is a 93, 86, 79, 72. What were those weird numbers? The the ski lights. Okay. So basically, the the ninety nine the longest is one ninety one, and then we go down in seven centimeter increments. On the one hundred eight, the longest is a one ninety three, and we go down in seven centimeter increments. Um, and that that decision was made again to really look at sort of the meat of the market and where we wanted to be. Um, and also, I mean, the size of skis that Adam and I wanted to ski was a big part of, of that. So, There's a ski that uh, you and I talked about uh, quite a bit over the last several years. Um, the line <laughs> super, ski, Jonathan? <laughs> the line Supernatural 108. And yeah. uh, I'm just curious. I mean, you know, when that, when that ski went away, we certainly felt like it left a bit of a void. And I know that I'm going to, people are going to be wondering about this exact thing. Like, do you see this new 108 Ti as bringing over some of the performance characteristics of that supernatural 108 or, or does it, does it not make sense to think about that old ski in the context of this new ski? I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely different skis. Um, I do. I mean, the the supernatural 108. When that went away, it it, it left a void in my heart, not just in the market. Um, but it's it's a ski I love, and that was a ski that we benchmarked against quite a bit. And the first designs of this 108 Ti weren't basically a, a supernatural 108 with a K2 logo on it. But I took a lot of that sort of let's call it design language or ideas from the supernatural 108. And then kind of departed um, from that that supernatural 108 more and more as we went on. Um, you know, I, I think it's probably as close to the supernatural 108 as anything in the market that I've skied, um, which is not. But I haven't skied everything out there. Um, I think the biggest differences you're going to find between the Mindbender 108 Ti and the supernatural 108 is that the the Mindbender 108 really tracks a lot better through chopped up snow and, and even on track snow and that it's a lot easier to kind of drift and, and slarve, which is um, something that, that Adam in particular was, was really adamant about where um, that 108 TI, when it gets a little bit roughed up, those tips can, can kind of want to climb on you and get locked into turns. And that's, that's not the case with this new line bender 108 TI. Um, and the side cut radio on the 
the, the, the Mindbender 108Ti. I am pretty sure a bit longer than the the Supernatural 108Ti. Um, I mean, not not drastically different, but definitely a longer sided cutter radius. So. Well, those are going to be fun and, and certainly to start getting a sense of the 99 versus the 108 and, you know, where we, where we think, you know, the kind of range of one ends and the other begins is going to be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of overlap um, between the two, you know, like it just depends on how you ski and where you ski most. But I, I think a large number of people, and I'll, I'll include myself in that list, um, are are going to have a hard time figuring out which ski's right for that. Like I, luckily it's not a problem for me. I have one of both, but there are days where it's like, well, I kind of want both of you. Yep. Um, you know, or it's if I'm spending more time on piste, I'll take the 99. If I know it's going to be all off piste and a lot of high speed stuff, it's definitely the 108 Ti. But um, I, I'm happy on either ski on on just about any day, and I love both. So. Hmm. Let's talk about this 116C now. Yeah. Um, and this this was an interesting one where we really spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, do we want this 116C to be sort of the, the next evolution of that 108Ti where you've got a, a big, early, wide ski for, for charging big lines? Or do we want something that's a little bit more playful and surfy? Um, and, and after getting a few prototypes on snow, um, you know, this is something you said a lot that if you're skiing a ski that wide, most of your skiing is going to be in softer snow and you get a lot of that suspension yep. from the snow itself. And, and we really felt like, you know, a, a metal lamb or a really heavy ski was just a little bit of overkill and that we were giving up some, some life and some energy that if we went to a, a lighter construction um, that we'd be able to get back. And, um, that took a, a little bit of time to, to figure out where we were sort of parallel pathing two different, two different versions. And then, um, we had a test with Andy, Marin and Pep, um, I think in, in early 2018 and we skied, you know, the latest and greatest protos of, of that 116. And, and I think they were happy with where they were at but they were looking for something that was a little bit more consistent. Um, you know, I know I've said it a lot, but, but drifting um, off piste and, and sort of had some beers with them and talked about skis that had worked well for them in the past and, and why they'd worked well. And, and we ended up arriving at, at using actually a, a much shallower taper angle. So basically the, the max tip width is much closer to the max tail width than um, I had been using and um, that then I really thought was was necessary. But the, the thinking there is, especially when you're throwing the skis sideways in deeper snow, if you've got a little bit more surface area in the tail, it's a lot easier to control that drift. Whereas if you've got a really pintailed ski, the tips are going to tend to want to climb and the tails are going to tend to want to sink, which is which is okay. But if you're trying to just sort of feather a turn a little bit, it's a lot easier to keep that under control and do it at speed if there's a little more surface area in the tail. Um, and so that, you know, we sort of tried that right after talking to Andy and Pat, and it made it a huge difference. 
hmm. in in just the ability to control the ski at speed um, in untracked snow and go from like a more carved driven turn to, to sort of feathering and drifting. Um, so yeah, we're, we're thrilled with where that's at. And it's, it's definitely a ski that, that you can push hard, much like that 108 Ti. It just is designed for softer snow, Yep. you know, where that 108 Ti is designed to kind of mob through anything. So given that this series is a replacement for the Pinnacle series, we're mm-hmm. talking about, it sounds like it's very safe to say that overall there is at least a lot less tip taper on these mm-hmm. Mindbender skis than there was on the Pinnacles. Tip uh, and tail taper. Tip and yeah. tail, okay. Just by virtue of you know switching things up, you've gone with less tip and tail taper on, mm-hmm. on this Mindbender series. Would it be fair to say that you've given up a lot of no. low speed performance? No, I don't. I don't think we've given up a lot. Um, the skis are certainly going to feel very different at, at low speed, but um, you know these new skis are are very maneuverable at low speeds. I think where they really start to separate themselves from the pinnacles are at higher speeds in more challenging conditions. And I think the one of the biggest differences you're going to notice between the pinnacles and these is, is honestly weight, right? Like one of the reasons those pinnacles feel so good at, at low speeds is that they're, they're pretty light skis with very tight side cut radii. And so um, they're very easy to swing around and that tight side cut radius really makes it, it very easy to snap a turn off at, at low speeds. Um, and, and yeah, you know, I think if you're just skiing, at slow speeds on smooth snow, um, the pinnacles are going to feel a little bit quicker. Um, I've not talked to anybody who's gotten on the new skis. Um, you know, people of all abilities and said, yeah, you know, it's great, but like that pinnacle is really good at, at low speed maneuverability. I think everybody's just thrilled with, with where we're at performance wise and, and the range of capabilities in the ski. Like, that 99 for me certainly is the most fun at speed, but I have no issues um, at slow speed on that ski. Like it, it feels very solid and, and forgiving at low speed um, where it's, you know, there are other skis out there that you need to really be kind of moving to, to get to work properly. And, and that was something we didn't want to do, right? Um, we wanted the skis to have that top end performance, but you can't give up too much low speed stuff because there, there are days where it's socked in or the lights really flat and you're in shitty conditions that you, you do need low speed performance as well. Let me hear a little bit from you, uh, from the engineer, just a bit about differences between these men's skis and the women's skis. And I'll say on the you know, we've got on the women's side, we have an 85, a 90C. I believe mm-hmm. we have an 88 TI. Yep. 98 TI, 106C, and mm-hmm. 115C. So Correct. that's what we've got going on on the women's side. Talk to me a little bit about the, the differences, uh, the engineering differences of these women's skis versus the men's skis we've just gone over. Um, well, I think, you know, to start out with, with the exception of the, the 85 and 90 C, um, which men's and women's share tooling 
all of those women's skis are unique skis designed from the ground up with the input of our women's team. Um, and, and a lot of the tech that goes into them, like the Tetanol Y-beam special braid and power wall, uh, which we never talked about, but we can talk about in a bit, um, are shared between men's and women's. But the, the women's skis are designed, I guess I, I designed them, but it was the, the women on our test team really driving that development. Um, and so it's, it's a little tough to draw parallels from like the men's 99 TI to the women's 98 TI because they're fundamentally different skis, you know? Um, then they use different cores. The women's mount points are ever so slightly forward of where the, the men's mount point would be on that ski. Um, but you know, it, it was actually interesting that the, the first ski that we had with Tetanol Y-beam was that women's 98 TI. And, and that design trickled into the rest of the men's skis. And um, I mentioned really struggling with the men's 99 TI, but the 90 TI also took a while to get right. And we tried some things on the women's 88 TI that worked really well. And, you know, some of that, that design trickled from the 88 TI into the men's, um, men's 90 TI. And I think a lot of people normally look at, at women's skis here shrinked and pinked men's skis or that sort of designs come from the men's skis and then get adapted to, to the women's skis. And while all the designs are unique, if anything, it sort of worked the other way with these, with these mind benders, um, at least with the, the Tetanol I-beam. And then uh, it was really a flex profile that was working really well on the, the 88 TI that um, we ended up using something very similar to that. On the men's 90 Ti. Well, so that you stop complaining that I'm not letting you talk about the technology. <laughs> do you want do you want to talk about some of the tech now? I'd love to talk about some of the tech. Okay. Um, so you know, I think earlier in the conversation we did cover torsion control design pretty thoroughly. It's it's maybe not worth kicking that dead horse. The um, the other bit of technology that we're bringing into all of the, the T-Mall models is uh, what we're calling power wall, which from the outside looks like just a stacked sidewall, but it's actually a, an injected ABS insert. It's about 15 millimeters wide and that we're pocketing out the core um, in order to basically lay that insert in. Um, and, and that ABS is a much stiffer responsive material than, than the wood core is. And so that really helps us uh, transmit power and energy more directly um, to the ski underfoot. The other thing that it allowed me to do from a, a manufacturing standpoint is that the, the Tetanol um, is exposed in the mid-body of the ski. And what that allows me to do is it allows me to use sort of alignment tabs on the Tetanol that interface of the tooling so that our Tetanol um, is always locked in place and always in the correct place. And those, those power wall inserts also interface with the tooling. And so they, they center the core both right to left and fore and aft. So it was, you know, those technologies came to be for performance reasons and ended up really helping us out um, 
with manufacturing. So we talked about Powerwall. Yep. We've talked about Y-Beam and Spectral Braid, which are the, the two sort of technical solutions under the torsion control design banner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as far as new tech, that's, that's really about it. Okay. Um, on these, which, which it's three things. It was enough to get on with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, from the get go, I was looking at, at making skis with longer effective edges that had less taper and, and less rocker compared to where we were at previously. And, and in some cases, less rocker and taper than what you're seeing on the marketplace. Um, or in the marketplace rather just because a longer effective edge makes the ski more stable mm-hmm. and, and stability, especially through, through variable snow was our primary focus. I like it. I thought you might. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turns out stability in variable snow. It's one yeah. of my favorite things. I'm psyched to, to hear your feedback once you get on. So, well, cool, man. Um, God, this is a lot of skis. This this was this was our full focus last year. Um, so you know we've got graphic updates on on everything else. Um, but yeah, 12, 12 skis. Oh, I guess thirteen because we've got a, a junior ski as well, which we're actually really excited about um, in the mind underline. Wait, say uh, say something about the junior ski. It's basically a narrower glass version of the 108 Ti. So it's the, the Mindbender team, it's 98 underfoot, um, just a really stable, responsive ski, three sizes for sort of kids to, to more tweens. Um, so it's 45, 55, 65, and, and really wanted to pass along a lot of the, the sort of stability and control that, that the adult skis had. Um, in a package that, that was accessible to, to younger skiers. Um, so it was a, a ski that our reps have been asking for, uh, for a long time. Um, you know, with sort of free ride programs really starting to grow across the country, we wanted a ski, um, that worked for those kids, um, and was designed for them. Hmm. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You, and just for the sake of clarity, since you like to leave the one, off of these lengths, so it's a the juniors come in one forty five, one fifty five, one sixty five. That is correct. Yeah, this yes. is why we can't let you out and talk to the media. I know it's uh, the marketing department has the same issue. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, they, they don't know we're doing this yet. So. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool. Well, I'll just I'll do my best to bring you along. People are going to be like, it comes in a forty five centimeter. That's super short. Yeah, yeah. super short. Um, comps junior snowblades. Man, we should do that. That's not a bad idea. I mean, K2 Fatty needs a redesign. So, um, you can, that's a free one. You just, you can have that for me. Ideas so, from Jonathan. Yep. New Fatty. Yeah. Right. Yep. Designing new Comp Junior <laughs> Snowblade skis. That's my new, that's my new area. <laughs> really, really <laughs> starting to turn my attention to, to that. So, yeah. Well, we'll make sure that you're on the testing for that. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, dude, uh, yeah, we're we're um, actually just now getting time on some of these skis, and this sounds like a ton of work and thirteen new models. So, I hope you get some well earned rest. 
we're into the look of these things and are going to be rolling out some of our initial reports on some of these skis real soon. Awesome. But yeah, big project here. So congrats for bringing this to, to market and be interesting to see Thanks. what people think. Yeah, no, we're, we're excited. I think that that much is obvious. So, um, yeah, psyched to see what you guys think and um, psyched to catch up at, at ORSI. Yeah, man. Well, cool. Jed, thanks for the time and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Jed Yeiser for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And don't forget to come join us at Western Colorado University on Thursday, January 24th at 6 p.m. to hear me interview Brendan Leonard of Semirad.com. And while you're in the Gunnison Valley, you can then also head up to Mount Crested Butte to check out the new Blister showroom, which basically all adds up to one pretty cool trip. So we hope to see you up this way, and we will talk to you again real soon. Take care, everybody.